0: Thank you worship team, what a powerful moment in baptisms. How exciting! this morning. That was phenomenal. I want to say to each of the families that uh, came today to support uh, your family member getting baptized, thanks for coming and being part of this special day for them. And then I'll also say to any of you who have not gone public with your faith and been water baptized, uh, Phil, we we want you to know that we'll baptize you any Sunday. And so uh, if you've not been water baptized and you want to, please find me or one of the pastors here. uh, If you're like, well, who are all the pastors here? Go to our website, Crosspoint Way And you can find pictures of all of us, and so we'd encourage you to get baptized if you haven't. Before I dive into the message, I want to plug one more important thing that's happening. This Friday night is a sisterhood event right here at the church. If you are uh, a lady, I would encourage you to be here Friday night for that. It's not too late to sign up. In fact, right outside those doors... Uh, is the registration for that, and so as you leave today, if you've not registered, step out those doors and register and get there for it. I am earning some brownie points. My wife is the director of our sisterhood women's ministry here at the church, and after some things I said in last week's message, I needed to earn some points this week, and so uh, there you go. I'm getting some uh, and it's getting some good points for uh, for that today. Well, anyway, over the past couple of weeks, we have been in a series about Lent, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And as I prayed about uh, what God wanted me to preach over the next few weeks, over the past couple of weeks and the next few weeks leading up to Easter, I felt like he directed my heart for this year for us to focus on the season of Lent and to prepare our hearts for a familiar yet supernatural moment. So often we can flippantly say that Easter is almost here, and it's the time when Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And we can just say that flippantly, and it can just roll off of our tongues. But the reality is, is each of those steps should evoke emotion for us as followers of Jesus. When we think about what Christ went through for our sin, that he was buried, beaten and brutalized and hung upon a cross for us. That's something that we can't really say flippantly. Instead, it should evoke emotion that Jesus went through that for us. And then the moment when he breathed his last breath and he died and it looked like it was the end. We know the rest of the story and we know that it wasn't, but wow, the emotion of that moment, that it seemed like it was the end and then the stone was rolled over the tomb and it looked like the end of an error era, that Jesus hadn't done what he said he was going to do. But we all know that three days later, miraculously, the stone was rolled away and he was raised from the grave. And so as followers of Jesus, we celebrate Easter every Sunday. We celebrate that we serve a God who is alive and well in our hearts. Amen? My prayer through this series is that this series would prepare our hearts That this Easter Sunday our hearts would be filled with an even greater sense of joy and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Lent is a season of 40 days before Easter where Christians from all sorts of faith traditions fast and pray and refocus their lives on God. As with anything, for some, this can be a formality of just going through the motions, but I would encourage you this Lent season to not just go through the motions or the formalities, but instead that you would really take this time to allow God to refocus your attention on him. In this season, it involves lament and repentance and anticipation. During Lent, we pour out our grief and sin, pain and regret, and we hold nothing back. And in response, God holds nothing back from us pouring himself out for our redemption. Over the past couple of weeks we've talked about lamenting sin. 2 weeks ago we talked about lamenting personal sin. And we talked about that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Last week we talked about lamenting national and global and church sin. If you missed any of these messages, I would encourage you to listen online, to watch online at crosspointwaverly.com or YouTube or Facebook or listen on Spotify. So the past two weeks, we've talked about lamenting sin. This week, I want us to move beyond just lamenting or grieving our sin to the next step, which would be repenting of sin. And so we don't just lament, we can do something about it. We can repent of sin. A number of years ago, I was serving as the state director for a ministry called Chi Alpha. Chi Alpha is our Assemblies of God Outreach to our secular colleges and universities, and I had paid a visit to the University of Iowa, and I'd never been there and never been on the campus and downtown and all that that entails, and I was meeting people, and it was at nighttime, and it was dark, and all of a sudden, I found myself going down the wrong way of a one-way street. It was terrifying. I mean, people blowing their horns and waving at me with one finger. Just kidding, that part didn't happen. But it could have, couldn't it? You you thought, yeah, that's Iowa City for you. (laughs) No, that that part didn't happen. But I quickly found a side street, and I got off of of the one-way street that I was going on, and my heartbeat was restored back to normal. When God shows us our sin, it can be disconcerting in a similar way. If I would have continued driving down the wrong direction of a one-way street, I would have put my life in danger and those who are also on the street. And the same is true with sin. If we ignore the wrong way signs and we keep going the same way, we put ourselves and those around us in ever-increasing danger. Being shown our sin is a mercy and repentance is an opportunity to turn around and go the right way again. That's what repentance is all about. It's not just about feeling bad or sorrow for your sin. Instead, uh, it's about turning away from that sin. When we're confronted by someone else or the Holy Spirit about what we've done, we feel regret. We feel sorrow. But I would encourage all of us in the room this morning to not stop there. That we would take the next step. That we would seek forgiveness. And we would also change our actions. That we would decide to go a new way and we make it right. That's what repentance is. We do a 180 to turn around and walk in a new direction. Personal repentance can be painful. This morning we're going to look at what repentance looked like for David in Psalm chapter 51. It's written by David after his sexual abuse of Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, David was a king. He saw this woman bathing. He lusted after her, sent for her to be brought back to the palace. He raped her, and as a result, she became pregnant. To cover up his sin, he brought Uriah in from battle to sleep with her. He was unwilling because of the military code. And ultimately, David had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, placed on the front lines of battle, which would mean certain death. There are plenty of other details that you can read about of that story in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Excuse me, in 2 Samuel. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan the prophet confronts David about his sin. And this story illustrates the human's desire for mercy when we're in the wrong and the desire for quick justice for others when they're in the wrong. Let's take a listen at 2 Samuel chapter 12 to Nathan and David's conversation. Verse number one says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. For the power that it has to transform our lives, we ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you would have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, we see that Nathan, the prophet, confronts David about his sin, and he tells him about his sin in a riddle, and he says, this rich man who has everything and takes from this poor man, what should be done to him? This hypothetical situation, this hypothetical situation, this hypothetical man, hypothetically, what should be his punishment? And in verses 5 and 6, David says that this man should die. That should be his punishment, and he should have to restore the lamb fourfold. When it comes to talking about someone else, David wants justice. He's angry that anybody would even do such a thing. And Nathan's response was, you are the man. And he's not saying, you are the man in a good way, like, you're the man, right? Instead, in a damning way, he's saying, you are that man. You're the one who has committed this atrocity. You're the rich man who had everything and decided to take from someone else. David repented, and there were consequences of his sin. The child that Bathsheba bore to David became sick and died. So David wrote Psalm 51 after this encounter with Nathan. After this encounter of his sin being exposed, these are the words that David wrote in Psalm chapter 51. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is before you, before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. David asked God at the beginning of this psalm that God would have mercy on him. In light of the situation that's happened, in light of his sin and the exposure of that sin, He's asking God, God would you show mercy? To me and i'm sure that he's replaying that conversation that he had with nathan remember the conversation where nathan gave a hypothetical situation about a hypothetical man and asked what the hypothetical consequences should be when david's response was that man should die and should have to pay back uh the lamb's fourfold, i'm sure that conversation was playing in his mind david knows that 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 should be his consequence and he cries out to god and he asks for mercy he knows the seriousness of his sin And in this passage, he uses four different words to describe his sin. He's not trying to justify his sin. He's not trying to minimize his sin. Instead, he uses the word transgression in verse number one. Transgression refers to rebellion or deliberately crossing over a boundary. He uses the word iniquity in verse number three, which suggests a perverseness or twistedness. He uses the word sin in verse number 2, which is falling short of God's standard. It's missing the target that God has set. And in verse number 4, he uses the word evil, which refers to the ugly, repulsive nature of sin against God. He says in verse number 2, to wash him thoroughly from iniquity. And in verse 4, he says, against God has he sinned. Sin is directed at God. It's nothing less than us saying, God, uh, we wish that you were not God and that your laws would disappear. And the Message Bible trans, uh, translates Psalm chapter 51, verses 4-6 through six like this. You're the one I violated and you've seen it all. You've seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. In the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new, true life. David says, God, you know everything about me. You know everything from the beginning to the middle to the end. You know the sin that I've just committed. You know the, how it's been brought to light. You've seen it all, and you have all of the facts before you. And David says to God, whatever you decide about me, And my punishment, whatever you decide, God, it's fair. And in verse 5, David addresses the sin nature that he was born with. Not to excuse it, but just going back to the root of where it all started. David recognizes that what God is after is truth from the inside out. In verses 6 and 7, he asks God to purge him and to wash him. And David wasn't content to just mutter a quick, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins, generic Prayer. Instead, David's repentance was sincere and it was thorough. He sees his sins being written in a book, and he longs for God to blot out the handwriting. In verse number nine, he asks God to hide His face from his sin and to blot out all his iniquities. I got this image about uh, about this uh, blotting out uh, in preparation of this message from when I was in second or third grade. I can't remember specifically. But there was this quiz or this test that we had to take, and I wasn't prepared for it. And so I grabbed my number two pencil, and I began to write the answers on the desk. And then when the teacher handed out the test, I was sly and covered over the answers. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's a good move. I do the same thing. And I thought everything was good. I was taking the test. I was writing down the correct answers because the correct answers were written on my desk. I was easily able to see them. But apparently I was not sneaky enough because my teacher observed what was going on from the front of the classroom. And she asked me, Jonathan, are you reading the answers from your desk? Boy, did I wish in that moment that God would blot out my iniquity, that magically that those pencil markings would be erased off of that desk. Oh, did I wish that before that she made it from the front of the room to check to see what was written on my desk, that somehow that number two pencil would become magic uh, ink that would disappear at just the sight of her walking that direction. But that didn't happen. Instead, I got caught. I got busted in and teacher called my parents, it was ugly, it was not a great day for, uh, for me. Still, it's in my mind at 41 years old of what happened in second or third grade. So for those of you who are young in here, don't cheat on your assignments. It'll haunt you for the rest of your lives. <laughs> David asked God to blot out his iniquities. And then in verse number 12, he doesn't want God to stop there. In verse number 10, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. What a great prayer for all of us. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. David recognized the importance of being in God's presence. And in verse number 11, says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then in verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I just wonder if there are some of you in the room today who have lost the joy of God's salvation upon your heart. And I think this would be a great prayer for all of us to pray of creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, but instead take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. For those of you who have lost the joy of his salvation in your life, this morning, pray this prayer, and I believe with you that God will restore the joy of your salvation. David knew the seriousness of his sin, and he wanted God to cleanse him, and, he, and David wanted to turn from the sin. In Psalm chapter 32, referencing this moment again, David says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In this passage, David writes about lament and repentance. And in verse number 5, he he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And he continues and says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Verses 3 and 4 talk about the painful process that it took for David to get to the place of repentance. For many people, repentance is a process there's temporary pleasure or enjoyment of sin, then it's hard to walk away from it, and some never do. Some continue down a path of destruction that takes them further than they wanted to go, costs them more than what they wanted to pay, and keeps them there longer than they ever wanted to stay. And for David, repentance wasn't immediate. In the moment, he wasn't quick to repent. It wasn't until Nathan confronted him of his sin that he was willing to repent. And Psalm 32 points to some additional elements that led to David's repentance. In verse number three, it says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Verse four, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David ignored his sin until, as verse number four says, that God's hand was heavy on him, increasing his discomfort until he acknowledged his sin and repented. Opening up Psalms commentary said, After Uriah was dead and Bathsheba was lawfully his wife, David thought he had successfully hidden his treacherous acts. Instead, he released into his life the hounds of guilt, hounds that pursued him every waking moment, and we may be sure even in his sleep. The discomfort that David experienced because of his sin manifested itself emotionally and physically. In his book, The Book of Psalms, Mark Futato wrote, David tried to deal with his sin by denying its presence in his life. And while this may have seemed to be the easy way, it turned out to be the hard way. The result of denial were disastrous. David became ill. His bones were in agony. He groaned all day long, and his vitality was reduced to nothing. David's repentance not only brought about spiritual healing, but also relief for his whole being. As soon as he confessed his sin in verse number 5, we see that God forgave him. Sometimes the pain of God's silence is a direct result of our stubborn unwillingness to repent. We can find comfort in knowing that as soon as we humble ourselves to him, when we confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us. Again, verse number 5, David wrote, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David went from the burden of sin to the blessing of confession. When we confess our sins to God, we're saying that we agree with you about this. God, we agree with you about this issue that we've done that's against what you would have for us, and we say, I was in the wrong. Before David came to the point of confession, he and God were on opposite sides of the fence. God was condemning his sin and David was defending himself by rationalizing and excusing his sin. And when he came to the point of confession, he quit fighting against God. He was able to walk from his side of the fence over to God's side of the fence and stand with him. And maybe for some of you, this is a picture of your life today. You're on opposite sides of the fence. You know that what you're doing in your life is not right. You know that it's sin. You know that it's wrong against God. But rather than just confess it to Him, you decide to stand on an opposite side of the fence from God and try to defend and justify your actions. And I just want to encourage you today that anytime we position ourselves against God, I can tell you who wins every time, and it's not you, it's always God. And so today, why would you want to stay on opposite sides of the fence from God when his word tells us that all we have to do is confess our sins to him to repent and turn away from it. And then we can be on the same side of the fence as God on that issue in our life. We can experience forgiveness and freedom. If David could stand before you today, he would beg you to confess and repent of your sin and experience the freedom that comes from God. The relief that came to David is available to everyone. In 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe there are some of you who are here in this room today and you are being tormented. The hand of God is heavy upon you because of the sin in your life. And this morning, God wants to lift that hand off of you and allow you to experience the freedom and peace that comes from confession and repentance and forgiveness of sins for David his sin in his life his unconfessed sin led to emotional and physical issues and the moment of confession and repentance brought about healing to both and I believe that God wants to do the same for some of you this morning Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you watching online today, or you're here in person, and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you say, today I want to become a follower of him. Or maybe knowingly, you've been on opposite sides of the fence from God, and you say, today I want to walk over, I want to confess my sins to him, I want to repent, I want to be moved into right standing with God and be on the right side of the fence with him. Just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, that's me. I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see those hands. One, two. Are there others this morning? you, You can put them down. Three, are there others? Let's stand all across this room there were at least three hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and if you raised your hand I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you but know that you won't be praying this prayer alone but that each of us in support of you will also be praying let's pray say dear Heavenly Father Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I messed up. This morning, I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you. With all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made in the journey that God wants to take you on. If you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998, we want to follow up with you. If you could text the word yes to 319-250-8998. I'm gonna pray for all of us here in just a moment. And then after I do, the worship team is gonna lead us in a song. And we leave time at the end of each service where people come forward who offer prayer to others. And so today, if you've come here needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you as the worship team begins to sing that song that you would step out of your seats and that you would come forward for prayer this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that as we look at it, that you don't uh, cover up uh, the evils of people, the characters in the Bible. We see they're bad and we see the good. We see the pitfalls to avoid and we also see models to follow. Clearly this morning, as we look at David's sin, it's a pitfall to avoid. But when we look at his response to being confronted with his sin, it's a model to be followed. So God, we thank you that Your Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin in our lives, that you bring it to our attention so that we can confess it to you and repent of it and turn around from that and be in right standing with you. God, this morning I pray for those that are living in sin, who have positioned themselves in places against you, that today your Holy Spirit would bring conviction upon their hearts, that as with David, that your hand would be so heavy upon them that the only option that they would have would be to surrender to you and to leave it at your feet and walk in the freedom that you desire. God, we pray for our family and for our friends and for classmates and coworkers that aren't followers of you. God, we pray that your hand would be so heavy upon them that they would turn their hearts and their attention to you. As we approach Resurrection Sunday, as we have opportunities to invite people to come to church, we pray that, number one, that you would start by preparing our hearts, that our words would mirror David's words, that we would pray to you and personally ask God that you would create in us a pure heart. And so God, we start with us and we ask that, that you would help us, that you would prepare our hearts for this moment coming up. And and God, we pray that you would prepare the hearts of those that we're going to invite to the Resurrection Sunday service, and that we would see hearts and lives turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.